We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Liebson Show. Welcome back. I am Seth Liebson. As we head into our 2, July 7th, 2022, it is a delight to welcome to the show, first time, Lior Sapir. He is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He has written what, a, what, what I think is a landmark article. You may have heard him on some other shows as well. It's making... Uh, a lot of rounds the way great essays used to do uh, back in uh, in the day. This may be one of them. It's titled The Assault on Children's Psyches. It's at City Journal. You can get it at city-journal.org. Dr. Sapir, thanks for joining the Airwaves uh, of Phoenix with us today. Thanks for having me, Seth. You betcha. I do this with every first-time guest. I hope it's okay with you. A little autobiography. Tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to be doing what you're doing here. Sure. So I got my Ph.D. in political science um, at Boston College, and um, after that I did a postdoc at Harvard. Um, I taught at the time. I was teaching um, American politics in a variety of colleges, universities, um, and I actually stumbled into this topic of um, transgenderism um, because I was writing a dissertation on the Obama administration's use of Title IX to try to change how schools treat students. and um, and so I I picked up this topic as a lens through which we can under, better understand uh, you know administrative government and and federal court. Um, but you know since that time it's taken on a life of its own. It's become a huge national controversy. Um, and so now I write about it both from a political science perspective, but also from a more kind of substantive medical perspective. And there is an interesting connection to Title IX that you get to, which we'll circle back to in a few moments, because I think that's a fascinating uh, side. Side story or angle to all of this as well. If it's okay with you, Doctor Sapir, I would just like to go almost almost seriatim or, or chronologically through what you write. I, I, I made a lot of notes on your piece, and uh, your piece again, the assault on children's psyches. The, the first thing that stands out to me right away is really in the second sentence, where you talk about rapid onset gender dysphoria, and it has an acronym of sorts: R O G D. We're talking about children who want to change their sexes or parents or teachers or anyone who wants to change a child's uh, sex. Uh, Rapid onset, uh, Professor, rapid onset, that's a thing? Is this a DSM recognized? All of a sudden, someone says I'm a boy? All of a sudden says I'm a girl when they weren't born that way? That, that, the use of the word rapid shocked me that they're, they're deploying this. Right. Uh, the simple answer is no, it's not recognized in the DSM. Um, this term was actually coined by a, a researcher at Brown University, um, Lisa Littman, mm-hmm. uh, on the basis of her own studies and observations and interviews with parents of some of these uh, teenagers, teenage girls, I should say, um, that exhibited absolutely no signs of gender distress in their early childhood, but that um, suddenly started showing these signs, um, uh, you know, hence the word rapid. And... Um, and very often they would show these signs in uh, cluster groups, in friend groups, 
Um, so this is not what, for, so if you read the DSM, if you uh, know the clinical literature on gender dysphoria, pediatric gender dysphoria, um, you'll know that, that this condition is extremely rare, um, especially in girls, and that it's uh, more or less demographically scattered. Um, it's not clustered in any particular uh, you know, part of the country or location, um, but, but that's not what we're seeing now um, at clinics across the West, not just in the United States. And so this term, uh, rapid-onset gender dysphoria, um, signifies the fact that the vast majority of teenagers showing up nowadays at these specialized gender clinics, Mm -hmm. um, there are about 60 in the United States, up to 300, depending if you count, you know, um, uh, non-specific gender clinics like Planned Parenthood that nevertheless uh, give out hormones, um, and and many others in in other Western countries. Um, The vast majority of, of kids showing up to these clinics now are teenage girls, not boys, which is what used to happen, mm-hmm. um, whose gender-related distress, um, or I should say apparent gender-related distress, because often uh, the causes of distress are not gender. Um, gender is the sign, the symptom. It's the way in which the, the, the child cries out for help or attention. Um, um, but, but in any case, these are teenage girls with no history of gender distress. It starts around puberty, and there's a lot of uh, different explanations for why they're all of a sudden experiencing this kind of distress and demanding um, hormones. So, so one of the things that your article demonstrates, your essay demonstrates, Professor, is that for a lot of people who say, or probably most people who say, oh, this stuff just isn't going on. We're not really doing this. We're not really changing 12-year-olds against their parents' wishes. Parents aren't really getting, uh, don't really have the ability to, to change their children's sex even under the age of 12. Oh, no, it's happening, right? Yes, it's happening. Um, I should say there's a great deal of variation in the United States because, you know, we have a a highly decentralized political system, Mm -hmm. and that corresponds to a highly decentralized medical system. Different states have different laws. Uh, For example, uh, laws pertaining to um, consent to treatment, uh, to the extent to which parents uh, have information about their their, um, children's mental health and can be involved in those decisions. Uh, It's probably not going to surprise your listeners to know that California is uh, an extremely, uh, quote-unquote, liberal state when it comes to that kind of stuff. And by liberal, I mean um, whatever, you know, kind of the fact the, the political factions on the left happen to want um, on, on this particular issue. Um, but, uh, yes, there's a great deal of variation. And in some states, uh, parents have very little control over um, decisions regarding their kids' mental and physical health. Uh, especially on this issue. This seems to be a kind of a unique carve-out among other mental health issues. And, um, you know, it's very disturbing to speak to some of these parents and learn just how much the deck is stacked against them. Because it's not just that they have very little control over, you know, their kids' health decisions. It's that there are all these factors that that implicate their kids' um, um, health status. Um, over which they have virtually no control. So, for example, and I get into this in my piece. Uh-huh. For example, um, you know, when a when a school uh, adopts, so to speak, inclusive policies, LGBT inclusive policies, and I should just say in parentheses, the, the acronym LGBT is so misleading. 
Um, it, it implies that you know, T, that the T and the LGB are somehow in the same camp. Right. Same a category. lot of the LGB are unhappy about that, by the way, and we'll hopefully yeah, get to that, right. too. Yeah, that's part well, of the yeah, Title IX stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, we should get to that. But, the, you know, for, for now, let, let me just say sure. that it's kind of piggybacking. Sure. It's the it's, it's T piggybacking off of the moral legitimacy and the legal and institutional foundation set in place by LGB. But, but let's put that aside. Sure. Um, when a school adopts these kind of LGBT, quote-unquote, inclusive policies, that can mean something like, we're going to use a student's preferred name and pronoun, um, and we're going to ask the student if we should uh, disclose that information to their parents on the supposition that some parents are, quote-unquote, unsupportive. Um, unsupportive, of course, meaning they're skeptical that their daughter really is a boy, was born in the wrong body. Right. Um, so, you know, schools do this, uh, you know, in the interest of being charitable here, schools do this for good intentions. Um, they want to support their, their students. They're, they're, they care about mental health. They've been told that, you know, if kids are not affirmed, they'll kill themselves, which is not true. Um, but, you know, they're doing it out of good intentions. But what they don't understand is that by, by participating in this, um, trans, you know, social transition process, they may be locking in a state of distress. Um, that the child is going to have a, a, a much more difficult time escaping from later on. And so that's just one example of how parents have so little control, especially in a, uh, a state like California. Parents have so little control over uh, the developmental trajectories of their kids. Dr. Sapir, we're talking to Leo Sapir from the Manhattan Institute and his piece in City Journal. I don't know if you've seen this, and if not, I'll, I'll happily send it to you, uh, because there's perhaps a, a million words of logic in, in this tweet that just came out today. Someone put it together. A, a parent put out a tweet, maybe you saw this, December 30th of last year. My daughter, seven years old, was extremely excited to receive these books for Christmas, and I couldn't have been more proud. And the two books are Jack, not Jackie, and Mary wears what she wants. Okay, that's that's the parent in December 30, 2021. January 30th, the same parent tweets, in need of a little advice, my daughter, seven years old, just came to me and said she thinks she wants to be a boy. Now, we are strong LGBTQIA plus allies, and I was all, on and on and on. Now, now the parent's looking for help. How often does this story happen? Probably quite a lot. Um, you know, the, the, parents say, at, the, the parent is at first yeah. happy, and then, wow, it only took a month, right. and the kid is already on the right. other side. You know what? I've got to take a quick commercial break. That's a big question. Yes, Let's pick that up on the other side, if that's okay. You, thank you very much. We're talking to Dr. Lior Sapir. He is with the Manhattan Institute. His piece at the City Journal, The Assault on Children's Psyches. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Dr. Sapir, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Privileged to have Dr. Leo Sapir with us. He is from the Manhattan Institute. His piece in the City Journal magazine, The Assault on Children's Psyches. Um, Professor, we were talking about a parent who in December is happy and delighted that their seven-year-old uh, gets books on transgenderism written for seven-year-olds. Its own story probably right there. A month later, the parent is now pulling out her hair because the child wants to change their sex. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, so I mean, here's what I would say. 
um, you know, if you've read Abigail Schreier's uh-huh. fantastic book, um, Irreversible Damage, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that she mentions there is that this phenomenon of girls especially, so I mean, the scenario that you described is a little bit unusual because it's a young child, but we can um, circle back to that. But um, at least with regard to teenage girls um, doing these kinds of things, um, there's a pattern here, which is that um, these girls tend to come from families that are very socially progressive, very liberal. Um, and when you think about it, that kind of makes sense because, um, you know, these, when it comes to issues of gender and sexuality, um, these kids are taught from a very young age that, that you know, boundaries are oppressive, um, that, that they should be authentic and nonconforming and constantly push boundaries. And of course, when you grow up in a culture like that, where everybody is, so to speak, authentic and nonconforming, um, you know, the, the way in which you can assert yourself as an individual is how exactly? I mean, you've just been told that you can... Be weirder is one way to just find something weirder yet. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... Right, exactly. I hope that's so not a Neanderthal of, it, it statement, but that's how I read it, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's true. And, and, and you know, it, 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 it pushes young kids to, to, um, to push back in ways that are ever more extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in a more conservative environment, you know, uh, wearing a, a skirt above the knees could be considered right, rebellious. Right, right, right. Um, so, so, you know, that's something that Schreier observed in her book. Um, I can say based on my interviews with parents, most of them in California, not all, but most of them in California, that that also seems to be a, a pattern there. On the other hand, you know, um, it, it's important not to fault progressive parents here um, because it's not like uh, most parents are like the one that you described in the tweet. Um, they're not. They're, they're grounded. They're, they have good common sense. You know, they have progressive values, and that's fine. Um, but they do try to give their kids a kind of a moral center. Um, they monitor their kids' development um, very carefully, very closely. Um, they're not just, you know, free-for-all kind of, uh, kind of parents who say anything goes. So, um, and these, these parents, for the most part, are, are heroic in what they're trying to, to do, pushing back against, uh, uh, you know, everybody in their social milieu is telling them, that they're awful human beings if they don't automatically affirm their kids as trans. And they know that their kids are not trans. They know that, that their girls are going through an episode. Um, and so they're trying to, to fight back against this in every way they can, considering the fact that they're going to be tarnished as transphobic by everybody in their life system. So it's important, on the one hand, to recognize that, yes, this is happening especially in progressive America, but at the same time, it's also important to not demonize parents who are going through these sure. extremely difficult ordeals. Sure. sure, parents who would do anything to keep their kid happy and healthy and safe. Of course, right. uh, of course, right. I, I understand that. Of course, and everyone should. There is a weird dynamic. I don't know if it's psychological, sociological. I don't know if it's political. And you kind of get into this early on in your essay, uh, where children in schools and we all know how this has been going on with the crt stuff they're taught white kids Mm -hmm. are taught they're privileged they're taught they're oppressors and all that they seek some kind of solace and refuge and shall we say innocence or or ablution maybe uh by identifying in the lgbtq plus community that's i I, i'm summarizing this correctly i thank you okay so what's odd to me about this is First of all, you used to hear from the LGB community. I have to make sure I'm doing this right. The LGB community, you used to hear from them, and maybe you still do. Of course we were born this way. Who would choose to have this? You heard some of that right. before. 
and now so 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 it seemed the quest was to be as conforming as possible to be as what what do I, how do I want to put this non um uh, non aberrational as possible not a standout people yeah. wanted to blend in and be normal here right. is a quest to be misuse of the word but not uh, yeah okay so not abnormal but not normal here the quest is to be something it's odd to be in a discriminated yeah. against class people want that how do you ex- am I summarizing something here that that you've thought about, or, or 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 am I just way off in this? No, you're not way off. I mean, you put a lot on the table there, so, so let me try to parse okay. it out a little bit. Right. Um, you, you're absolutely right that you know, especially if you kind of operate in a socially progressive environment, you absorb a lot of the intersectional messaging yeah. about oppression and oppressors. Um, you know if you're a teenage girl who is, you know, highly intelligent, which most of these, most of these girls are, um, and very uh, attuned to, to her social environment, you know that you know, everybody is telling you as teachers, administrators, counselors, um, that, you know, white supremacy infects everything, um, that they, you know, if you're a white teenager, you're, you, you, are, you benefit from these systems of white supremacist um, oppression, um, and there's nothing you can do to escape that, right? Because you can't not be white right. and opt right. out of being white. <laughs> so they used um, to tell us, yeah, right. Right, right. So there's nothing you could do about that. But um, they're also told at the same time that being LGBT means um, being, you know, countercultural, mm-hmm. being, it means being authentic. It, it comes with a kind of a status of, of being oppressed, which yep. uh, raises your status in progressive circles. Um, now, as you point out, uh, you know, the mainstream understanding of homosexuality and this understanding is grounded in, um, in, in quite a bit of, of research. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, I don't want to say that it's 100 percent. I was going to say it's, it's probably not universally agreed to, but there's a lot of research yeah, on the point it's, you're it's, about to make. Yeah. As, yeah, exactly. It, it's as as close as we can probably get to prove it, which is that. It's equiprobable, really as has... we might say. Equiprobable. How's right. that? OK, right, <laughs> okay. right. <laughs> It has, at the very least, it has a strong inborn component. Um, Whether or not it's also susceptible to outside influences, there is a kind of a very strong inborn component. Um, And so one is really kind of either born that way or not. Um, This is one of those areas in which the the, uh, mushing together of T with LGB really confounds the issue. Because when it comes to trans, um, we don't actually have any evidence that people are born with, so to speak, the, the brain of the opposite sex. Dysphoria, um, Gen- what, what we would call gender dysphoria. We don't have evidence that people are born with it. Right. Well, yeah. gender dysphoria describes a, a psychological condition. Okay. Um, but I'm raising the question of etiology, meaning oh, the okay. causes of that condition. Okay. Yeah, okay. the causes of that condition. We, we don't know what causes gender dysphoria is, is, is the simple answer. Okay. Um, some people hypothesize that, that, that you can be born with a uh, wrong brain, but there's no evidence to, to prove that. Um, so, uh, but, but regardless, the vast majority, right, study after study has shown that the vast majority of people who identify as the other sex, um, by people I mean kids, who identify as the other sex, snap out of it on their own, um, with or without psychotherapeutic counseling, um, but without medical intervention. That's the, so that's that's, that's yeah. the crucial point. I I know you right. have a call in a few minutes. Can I squeak one more small segment out and to get you in time yeah. for it? I'll get you in time for it. I promise, because this is just yeah. too important <laughs> for me to interrupt. Yeah. But I do have to take a quick commercial break. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Lior Sapir over at the Manhattan Institute. His piece in City Journal: The Assault on Children's Psyches. We will be right back. <laughs> <laughs> 
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. We are uh, joined, uh, rejoined by uh, Dr. Leo Sapir from the City Journal um, and uh, Manhattan Institute. His piece, The Assault on Children's Psyches. Uh, Dr. Sapir, you were just talking about the issue of uh, children, uh, you know, whether whether the science is showing that anyone is born inherently with a trait that wants that. Sure. Go ahead. You, you pick it up from where you were going. Sure, absolutely. So, um, so we know that Cross-gender identification is, by and large, socially influenced. Um, you know, the, the, the studies that have been done up until now, which are admittedly um, methodologically flawed in each in their own ways, but, but those are the only studies we have, and they show that the vast majority of kids with gender dysphoria desist from it on their own. Um, and actually, a majority of them turn out to be gay or lesbian. Mm-hmm. And this makes uh, some sense because, as we know from uh, studies on homosexuality and, and you know, a lot of first-person reports, um, kids who uh, who are gay and lesbian often experience their nascent sexual um, longings. Um, they interpret that as being born in the wrong body. It's only really when they mature that they understand: No, I could be a boy and attracted to other boys. It doesn't mean that I'm not, that I'm a girl. Right. Um, so uh, all of that is just to say that you know our understanding of homosexuality is more or less settled that it's a, an innate property of persons, but that's not the case. With at players. least the law now, has embraced that. Yeah. We can we can say at least the law for right. purposes of Title IX and others, as you point right. out. Right. Okay. Go right. ahead. Now I, I should point out that um, one of the more interesting features of uh, kind of let's call it youth culture over the last few years is the extent to which these categories, this uh, umbrella or um, Call it the Rainbow Coalition, okay. LGBTQ plus, you yeah. know, ever proliferating. Sure. Um, the extent to which it's actually become so easy to opt into it to become a member. Right. Um, so if you think about, for example, the term queer, um, yeah. it used to refer to uh, gay, mm-hmm. right? It used to be a synonym for gay. Right. Um, nowadays, it just means anybody who doesn't see themselves as a kind of a two-dimensional stereotype of their sex, mm. which is to say pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? So anybody can be queer, and all you have to do, um, and I see this especially among young, white, very liberal women, mm-hmm. um, teenage girls and women, all you have to do is just say, I'm queer, that's it. You don't have to adopt pronouns. You don't have to change your name. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to behave a certain way. It has nothing to do with your sexuality. Um, you can just declare yourself queer and voila, you are part of the oppressed. Um, and the same, of course, with non-binary, although they tend to use they, them pronouns and all these kinds of things. But the, the, the point here is that even with trans, um, one can opt into it for reasons of ease and social prestige. Um, but once inside, um, it tends to take on a life of its own. There, there are mounting pressures from within uh, trans-identified youth to to show that they're committed to it, mm-hmm. the identity, mm-hmm. and they do that by you know by by medicating, drug, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, double mastectomies at age 15 or 16. Um, so it, it's a category that's very easy to get into and very painful to get out. Yeah, of. it's the Hotel California. You can check in but never leave, right? Yeah, uh, or, right. yeah no, exactly. Uh, that, that's exactly right. And that is that that is kind of an interesting um, aspect to the conflict. It's within Title IX. I only have two minutes, but how serious, and I'd love to have you back and do an hour. I mean, I'm just scratching the sure. surface with you, but I wanted the audience to know about this article if they hadn't, this essay of yours. Sure. How serious is the fight, shall we say, between the old school gay rights community, your Andrew Sullivan's and Jonathan Rausch's, versus mm-hmm. this new effort? How, within a minute or so, how how serious is that fight? 
It's pretty serious. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. I think there, there's a considerable amount of, of unease among um, gay and lesbian activists, mm. rights activists, or just even, you know, kind of run-of-the-mill um, gays and lesbians mm-hmm. over the use of their, um, of their organizations, of their moral legitimacy um, for a cause that is not only different from gay rights, but in many ways cuts against gay rights. Including the immu- um, immutability aspect, right? The, 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 right, right. right. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if, if it's true, and I think it is true, that you know, a, a large portion, if not the vast majority, of kids who are considered or consider themselves trans and, and seek um, a medical transition, if it's true that most of those kids are gay or lesbian, and that if you just left them alone, they would figure that out mm-hmm. um, within a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, Transing of kids really constitutes a kind of conversion therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're taking kids who are gay or lesbian and you're converting them into the opposite sex because of misread social cues. Yeah. So I think it's it's, seri- it's serious. We're gonna it's we're gonna be serious. ironing this out for a long. Yeah. Uh, Lior yeah. Sapir, uh, sorry, it w- it yeah. may have felt brief, but I needed to get this out to the audience. I, I am fascinated. Sure. And the essay that you wrote, folks, uh, I want to commend it to you because it gets into so many specifics and examples of things that we didn't even scratch the surface on. So, Lior, if I can call this a bookmark and have you back, I'd love to. But this is this is just tremendous work you've done, and I really Absolutely. appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate it. You bet. I, if I you, if you can just hold one quick sec, I want to check with you on something sure. offline real quick. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're going to do more with Lior Sapir. We are only scratching the surface. And if you read his piece at City Journal, you'll see that there's a lot more to it. Uh, Portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They are good people. They are actually doing really well by doing good for others. And you can, too, if you're interested in a unique investment opportunity, check them out. They're Talking about a fixed no-load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence to prove firm, and uh, they help people get out of debt the right way, uh, paying down and off their debts, paying off their debts. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y and R E F Y dot com, or call them at eight five five three one six. Three zero eight seven. If you uh, if you think it's just the schools uh, that are the issue, um, it's not. This stuff is suffusing everything. We once in a while talk about how the military, the U.S. military, what used to be con- uh, known as a part of Hard America in the old Michael Barone Hard America, Soft America thesis. You know uh, where you know they train uh, and they work uh, by dint of result and outcome, and they have order and they have discipline and they have uniformity. Um, that's not exactly what you used to think of as soft America, but soft America invaded hard America. It didn't go the other way around. There's a new Army training manual with a slide. Won't this make you happy? Here's the headline: Army training says soldiers must shower with transgender persons of opposite sex. Don't you like that? Now, just so you know how woke they are, persons of opposite sex, they um, they have a soldier unit training slide on barracks, bathrooms, and showers, and it reads this way. Vignette. Just so you get – they have to give you a vignette, which is um, – you know, a an example, a short story that is an example so that you know what they're talking about because you don't just join the military and then all of a sudden know what transgenderism might mean in the showers, right? You have to be told. So vignette, 
This is what the Army's up to. I wonder if they're doing this in China. Bill, you, you tell me. Actually, I, I shouldn't call you Bill. Your new nickname is 16. Do you know why? <laughs> you don't care? <laughs> You're just insouciant about it all. You don't care. Yeah, whatever. Eh, all in a day. Okay. Vignette. This is from the Army. Following his transition from female to male, which did not include sex reassignment surgery. Okay. A transgender soldier begins using the male barracks, bathroom, and shower facilities. Because he did not undergo a surgical change, the soldier still has female genitalia. So it's a, fema- it's a male soldier with female genitalia, and um, they are, uh, they're not required, quote, not required or expected to modify or adjust their behavior best based on the fact that they do not match other soldiers in the shower, close quote. You like that? You like that a lot, don't you? So this is now in the military. Male soldiers showering with female soldiers who think they're men or who say they're men. They just haven't gone through the reassignment surgery, which, if they choose to do, becomes a question of who's going to pay for it. They also got (laughs) – this is incredible – they also got to Macy Gray, the rhythm and blues singer. You know Macy, you know Macy Gray's work. She's a tremendous uh, artist, really tremendous artist. Now, here's the funny thing. So Macy Gray comes out and, uh, and says she's not buying, uh, buying all this transgender business. Uh, she says you can call yourself whatever you want, but just putting male parts on a female body doesn't make you a man. Okay. Okay, everyone in the world up until yesterday thought that. Who boy did that uh, bring down a shower of uh, condemnation of her? To which she tweeted to all these people. The tweet that people said, this is how you do it. Here's what she tweeted. All of you coming on my page, threatening me and calling me names just because I said something you don't agree with. Be whatever you want to be and FK off. Okay, I could get behind that use of it for once. That's how you do it. Until today. Yeah, they got to her. They got to her over at the Today Show, of course, NBC. And um, let me just play you. I mean, it's, it's really a sad capitulation. And then, and then wait, wait for the conclusion. Not of hers, but of mine. Just wait for it because they're not reporting this. Macy Gray. She came onto the music scene more than two decades ago, and now Macy's getting ready to drop her latest album. It is called The Reset. She is going to be performing one of the songs off that album in just a few minutes. Macy, uh, it's good to see you. Um, I've actually felt like I've seen a lot of you in the past few days recently. You were on the Pierce Morgan show, and there was a question about trans women. And this was what you said in part. As a woman, just because you go change your parts doesn't make you a woman. If you want me to call you a her, I will, because that's what you want. But that doesn't make you a woman. Just because I call you a her, just because you've got a surgery, you can call yourself whatever you want. There was a wave of of backlash that came as a result. Um, Just tell me where you are right now on that statement. Well, uh, I never, of course, meant to hurt anybody with with, uh, what I said. I'm not. I'm actually a huge, uh, I think it takes a lot of courage to be yourself, to, to, to go out in the world and be honest about who you are. 
And uh, so I think anyone who is uh, in the LGBT community is a hero and, and sets an example for all of us with that, you know? Um, so I said some things uh, that that uh, didn't go over well, but um, my intention was never to, to hurt anybody. I feel bad uh, that I did hurt some people. And and I think it's, it's um, you know, it's just about education. It's about conversation and, and us getting to a point where we understand each other and... and um, and and that that only happens with you know I've I've learned a lot through this, mm -hmm. so I think that that was one of the reasons uh, it might happen. Just it was a, a huge learning experience for me and huge learning. Say on she goes, you know, falling all over herself to try and say the right thing, and it's just sad to kind of watch. Huge learning experience that took place over the course of uh, oh forty eight hours. So she got completely woke within 48 hours i guess now here's here's the odd thing i was just looking up her biography a little bit i know her music but i don't know her story it's a pretty good story it's a pretty pretty incredible story and um she has children with an ex-husband the ex-husband is tracy hines that's how she bills herself tracy hines ex-husband female that's who we're dealing with here Welcome back to the Seth Leaps and Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. I take it every single day. I had a caller yesterday asking me about my biking, and I won again today, hit another personal record today. Uh, it's uh, I, Listen, I, yes, uh, a lot of hard work, but Balance of Nature is just a great assist, as it has been for that ultra marathoner who runs for Balance of Nature, who did 76 marathons in 76 days to so celebrate July 4th, Tom Jones. Pure, potent plant power, 100% natural, 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. You just take it once a day, and you are powered up with increased immunity, increased health, increased strength, increased everything you would want. Balanceofnature.com. Check them out. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I just ran a little close to the end there. My only point about Macy Gray is look at who they're going after. They're going after someone with children who has an ex-husband named Tracy Hines. Tracy Hines bills herself as Macy Gray's ex-husband. If, 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 if you heard me in my monologue in the first hour on what the NEA, the nation's largest teachers union, is up to and their skillful use of language, he said sarcastically, you understand that, you know, Everything has not just changed that you knew. The miracle of the common now no longer exists, but neither does the use of language. Politics has trumped language. It is ideology, I should say, more than politics. Hannah Arendt said there is no power more potent than ideology. Ideology has trumped nouns. It has trumped our use of language. How did the, uh, how did the NEA put it? Uh, earlier the, uh, this week, the NEA is a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender nonconforming folks, F-O-L-X, who will fight against these attacks on our members and the reproductive rights of all people who are able to. Just not not a sentence. Any teacher, well, maybe now they would. Now, maybe teachers don't care uh, about syntax and, and, and verbs and nouns matching anymore. But uh, 
boy, I know when I went to school they did. But everything has changed. And uh, as Vaclav Havel says, uh, the state engages in a systematic pretending not to pretend. It pretends it doesn't pretend. I can't tell you if they believe this stuff or if they think they have to say this stuff. I can't say any different about Macy Gray. Do I really think in 48 hours she's had a complete and total transformation and awakening from telling people to go F, you know what, to I didn't mean to hurt anyone's feelings? I don't know. But she is um, in the mode of what we used to call forced confessions when it was done by the Soviet Union, the Cubans or the Chinese. Just didn't think it would happen in America. But here it is. Here it is. Loudly and clearly. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. Brandon Weikert coming right up.